0: I've got it all figured out. With your salary, plus what I take in with the photography, in four years we should have enough for you to quit and do nothing but compose music and become famous and make us rich.
1: Never make it.
0: I made us $32 today.
1: Big deal. I made 32 kids sleep with their eyes open. Oh, right there. Right there. Oh yeah. Uh, right there. Yeah. Uh. this is going to be a lot rougher gig than I originally thought. <sighs> you know, when I was in high school, I wanted to be someplace else, you know, any place. never occurred to me that my teachers would feel the same way.
0: Well, you can still quit.
1: Uh, we've been through all that.
0: I thought the band was getting pretty good, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, we could play Holiday Inns for the rest of our lives. Or Los Angeles. (laughs) I don't want to be a studio musician.
0: So it's four years teaching then.
1: Alrighty,
2: uh, now I just, you know, I just want you all to relax, have a little fun, you know, we're not here to impress each other. (laughs) Okay, all right, let's get ready. Everyone, come on. You ready? Okay, here we go.
3: It was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good morning, Hope. Good morning. Who's glad that the school year is actually finally over? Any students out there, you're glad? Hey, But let's give it up for all of our teachers, our coaches, administrators. What a great year. We're thankful for all you do for our community. Now, that that scene from Mr. Holland's opus was very familiar to me growing up. When I was 10 years old, I wanted to be in the school band. So I asked my parents, can I be in the band? And they said, sure. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. And they had my dad's old trombone from when he was a kid. And they said, here. They gave me this trombone. And they said, you can be in the band. So I took it. I started playing. And I I was hooked. From the age of 10 all the way through college, I was in everything I could think of to play jazz bands and orchestras and symphonies and marching bands and all that stuff and and I just loved it. So, um yeah, so that that was very familiar. Now, I haven't played in a long time and I probably sound more like those kids than I used to. So, I'll just put that down. <laughs> Won't torture anybody, but um in high school I thought I had aspirations of being a musician. I thought it would be a great way to to, to live life, to to earn a living. So I got to college and I did some auditions and they said, yeah, you can play, but thankfully they told me, you know, there aren't a lot of jobs for professional trombone players. It's just not a thing that's happening right now. And so I took their advice and I said, okay, I'll, I'll put that aside, I won't pursue music. I will take up the far more lucrative career of an English major. It seemed like a much better decision. Uh, Careful, kids. College is tricky. (laughs) And I took that route. Now, even though I wasn't doing professional music anymore, I kept up with it. I learned a few more instruments, and at my church, I was on the worship team. I was a guitar player, a singer, and they hired me to be a worship leader toward the end of my college time, and uh, that's how I got my start in ministry. I was a worship leader for about the first five years of vocational full-time ministry, and... At the beginning of it, I thought, this is great. I'm doing what I thought I wanted to do. I'm playing music every day. Uh, I'm even working in the church and leading in the church. And I felt like, man, this is a great fit. But after a little bit of time, after just a couple of years, I started to resonate more with that sentiment that Richard Dreyfuss's character, Mr. Holland, tells his wife uh, at the beginning, man, I feel like this, uh, this gig is gonna be a lot rougher than I thought. It was different. And maybe that's what you think about your current situation in life. Maybe your vocation or your job right now isn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Maybe where you are just relationally or personally, things aren't lining up for you the way you thought they should or the way you'd hoped years ago. Maybe all that stuff is fine, but your spiritual life isn't going the way you thought. You know, your relationship with Jesus, you had a a dream of what that was going to be like and how it was going to feel, and it's different. It's not quite how you thought it should be. Maybe it's a season of disappointment for you. That's certainly how I think the the woman at the well felt when Jesus met her. Our Bible reading for today from John chapter 4, we pick up in the middle of a story in John 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John 4. Jesus is is in the middle of this story. He's on a walk by himself. Jesus is alone, and he's walking through the region of Samaria. It's hot there like today. Picture a a dusty, really rocky terrain, not very much vegetation, a lot of thistly trees and maybe some animals wandering around. And Jesus walks up to a well where he sees a woman drawing water by herself in the middle of the day. So Jesus sits down and he asks her for a drink of water. Now to us, that seems perfectly benign. What's the big deal? To them, that would have been Shocking, it would have been astonishing even for the readers of this story. Men didn't talk to women, especially when they were alone, just the two of them, and they were strangers. And even more than that, Jews, who Jesus was, didn't speak to Samaritans, who this woman was. There were deep ethnic and historical religious tension between the two groups. They didn't get along and they didn't talk to each other. So this woman in John 4 is justifiably shocked when he starts talking to her and she says in verse 9, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Jacob was very important to the Samaritan sect, their religion. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will, be, will never be thirsty. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, I want to clear the air right away because too many preachers have just got this completely wrong. Jesus is not pointing out sin in this woman's life. He isn't, he isn't accusing her of being loose or promiscuous like how dare you divorce five guys. That's not what's going on here. Women were not allowed to get a divorce. They couldn't decide to leave a marriage in Jesus's day. That wasn't an option or a freedom that was open to them. Women couldn't just select out of marriage. Often, what marriage looked like in Jesus' day is a father who had a daughter would try to get the most out of that relationship by selling her off to be married for a price, for a dowry. So, a man, often at a tragically young age for the girl, 12 years old, an older man would pay the father animals and money and things, and, and, and that's how she would get married. Bought and sold. Men could offer certificates of divorce. It was just called a certificate of divorce. I'm done with this marriage, and they could walk away. There were very few consequences for the men if they did that. But for the women, tremendous shame and pain and social damage were done because of this contract, and that had happened to this woman five times, bought and sold, abandoned, left. Nothing she could do about it. And and it really comes as no surprise, then, that she would be living with a guy who's not her husband. Women weren't allowed to have jobs. So she has no money. She can't work. She's trying to survive the best way that she's able. And here comes Jesus talking to her about that. He's not saying, I see your sin. He's actually saying, I see your pain. I see what's going on in your life. I recognize that that things have not gone for you the way you thought they would. I can't imagine this this woman as a young girl thought, man, I hope that one day I get abandoned by five guys and I'm left all alone. I don't think that that's how she thought it was going to go for her. And Jesus says, I see you. I see where you are. I see what you're going through. And I'm engaging with you over this. But even still, he gets a little bit too close for comfort. I mean, it's still kind of strange, this Jewish rabbi just coming up out of nowhere and talking to a strange woman about her life, her deepest pain and the place of her her hurt. And it's a little bit too close for comfort for her. He hits a nerve. And so she tries to change the subject really quick. She switches to try and debate Jesus about, about religion. It turns out that Trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation by changing the subject is, is not a new invention. It's been going on for a really long time. I was uh, on a walk one night with my wife, and we were just together, and, um, and she stopped and she said, Eli, can't you just tell me how much you love me? And I, said, I stopped and I said, Katie, honey, uh, just look up at all of the stars in the sky. And she said, Don't change the subject. That never happened. So this woman, if you ever really want to get out of an uncomfortable conversation, just get into a debate about religion with that person. I mean, that'll stop it no matter what. She starts debating Jesus about the differences between the Samaritan religion and the Jewish religion. Our people say we should worship at this mountain, that this is the holy place to worship. And your people say it's the temple in Jerusalem, that that's the, which is it? Jesus, you tell me, let's talk about it. And Jesus, instead of backing away, like most of us would in that kind of a debate, he engages her, he uses this as an opportunity to talk with her about the broader sense of what worship really is, the nature of true worship. And in our Bible reading for today in John chapter four, it says this on your screen, it says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit And in truth, meaning God is not a physical thing the way that we are physical. God is spiritual and our worship for him must be deeper than just the physical stuff of worship. It must be a spiritual connection, an internal connection with God from our deepest selves. We just started a a new message series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, Pastor Mike kicked off this, this message series talking about this, the nature of the Spirit, who He is, what He does, why it's important for us as a church to be responsive to how He's leading us as a people and as individuals. This week, we're, we're still talking about the Spirit, but how the Holy Spirit relates to worship, how we worship together and individually. The first thing that Jesus points out is that worship, real worship, isn't really about religion. Religion. Religion is the physical stuff that we attach to worship. It's the, the tactile things that we put on it, the styles and the, the songs and the pra- the places, all of those things are physical. And, G- and Jesus says, worship truly is spiritual. It's internal, it's your life. It's not just all that physical religious stuff. To highlight this, I wanna look at a couple of passages from scripture, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, because this this problem about where to worship, it's still being debated. The the temple was being dedicated in 1 Kings 8.27, this temple in Jerusalem. Now, God told David, Solomon's father, not to build this temple. Solomon, David's son, built it, but even at the dedication of the temple, this is when they're dedicating it, Solomon says, but will God really live on the earth? Why even the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple that I have built. God can't be contained in any building. God is not a physical thing. No matter where we are, God is not at any one place at any one time. So then compare that to 1 Corinthians six nineteen in the New Testament. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you decide you're going to follow him with your life, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, meaning that you are the place where God dwells. That wherever you go in your life, you are a representative, you are a place of God, you are a, a place of worship, a source of worship. One of the, we'll be looking at three ideas about worship today. The first one is simply this, worship is more than your location. More than where you go on the weekends or what you do when you come to corporate worship Worship is your life. It's your whole life. Now, this can actually be kind of intimidating, a little bit scary, because if you think about it, worship is the thing that you do whether you're aware of it or not. Our English word worship comes from a derivation of an old English word for worth, worship. Your, your acts of worship are whatever you do that assign value to the thing you're worshiping. However you're ascribing worth to something, that is worship, and this means that you're assigning value to God, whether you realize it or not, out in the world every single day. And this scares me a little bit because if I was to think and be really honest about my life just last week, how, how was I assigning value to God? And if people looked at me, if they, if they, if they were watching the way that I, I spent my time or the way I spent my money, or the way I treated other people in my life, the people I love or strangers out in the world, would they really be able to see that the thing I value most is God? And I don't think they would. I think that if I was honest and people were looking at my life, they would probably see someone who was worshiping, assigning worth to my own life, my own desires and the things that I really want. And and I don't want that to be the case. I value God more than anything up here. I know that that's what's true. Now, the, the obstacle for me is, do I show that by the way that I live? Do I worship God with every part of me? Do I make this verse, this is a very popular verse, Romans 12, 1, is it true for me? Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Is, is everything I do assigning worth and value to God Is it it obvious by the way that I live my life? Now, this doesn't just have to be convicting. It can also be incredibly affirming and exciting because what this really means is that every aspect of your life matters. Every minute of your day matters. Even if this is a season where, like we talked about at the beginning, where things aren't going the way you thought they should, you might be in a season of disappointment about various aspects of your life, it still matters to God. God is still in those things that might feel disappointing to you. God's there and you have the opportunity in those times to assign value and worship to God in your life. To let people see that that this season isn't how I thought it would go, but God is here in it. And I'm going to give him praise and worship through whatever I do. Any action, any activity, that's something you can use to worship God. Now this also means that... um, There's no one way to worship that's the correct way. That's what Jesus was talking about with the Samaritan woman. That The the time is now here where it doesn't matter where you worship. God wants you to worship in spirit. That means that that the styles and and the ways that we think about worship commonly are, are a little bit too small. Even though if this is not the first time you've heard of this idea, that worship is about your whole life, you've heard it a hundred times, we still tend to think about worship in musical terms. That's just where our mind goes. We've been, we've been trained to think about worship as music, as style, as, as the things that we do, when in reality, if this is true, worship isn't just about music, it's more about your spiritual gifts, you know, it's about the things that God has given you in your life to do, not just when you come here, but every day, all day. Whatever God has given you as a spiritual gift, that's what he wants to use for worship in your life. You know, not just about the, 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 what we call the worship team on stage, right? The worship leaders, those are just titles. It's not the whole picture of what worship is. There, there are a couple of different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, uh, I'll spend just a little bit of time talking about the shortest one. You're welcome. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is a list of spiritual gifts, and there are more categories of, of gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, the word for pastors in, in the original Greek poem and, can actually be translated as shepherd. It was the, the actual name of the uh, shepherd who, who tended sheep. I think that's actually a more helpful translation. It, it actually tells us what that spiritual gift does. Somebody who has the spiritual gift of being a shepherd tends to the people who are already within the community of faith, and that's their gift. That's how they worship. And, and when you come on a weekend to corporate worship, when we're here at church, typically what you tend to see more of are the, those last two gifts shepherds and teachers. You see a lot of people, especially up, up front, teaching, leading, taking care of the people who are already here. But those aren't the only gifts that the Spirit puts into people. Those aren't the only gifts that the church requires to be the church. When we miss out on, on other spiritual gifts, when we only emphasize a couple, we become very insulated as a church. We, we just think about ourselves and our, our desires as a community and our wants. We don't tend to think outwardly the way the church is supposed to. So, so what this does, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, gives us a nice little acronym called APEST. And those first three gifts is what I want to talk about, because if we just think about worship in musical terms, or even just shepherding and teaching, that cuts down a lot of people from being able to serve. You might not be able to play an instrument, and you may not, you may not be gifted in teaching. Is there a place for you at the church? Absolutely! This is a place where all of the gifts are required for us to be the church together. Now, these three words, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, have a bad reputation just because people have used them as, as titles in their lives that, that aren't very helpful. You know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, so-and-so, and it's not, it's not the full story of what those things mean. All you have to do is look in the Bible a little bit to see what does an apostle actually do? You know, how is that gift played out in real life? And maybe even think about, is that how God has gifted me? Apostles in the Bible were, were the people who were sent out by God to do his work. And really even the, the name apostle it means that, apostles are sent out. And it was the same guys who were disciples of Jesus. Sometimes that's a little bit confusing. It's, you know, John is a disciple and all of a sudden they're called apostles. What's going on there? That was the rhythm of of teaching in the day. You were a disciple, which means a follower. You would follow your teacher. And then one day the teacher would send you out as an apostle to do what you were taught to do. And so apostles are the people who are sent out into the world. And in ministry contexts, that means that they are the part of our church that helps us think about new ways of doing ministry, breaking new ground and trying things that have never been tried before. You know, our mission as a church is to reach out to the world around us and to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And we don't reach out if we don't have people in our congregation who are helping us think of new ways to do that, to try new things. Often in in regular life, the people with this spiritual gift will be entrepreneurs or business leaders. They have that gifting on them, and we need that in the church. You don't get to see it a lot because those people aren't typically up on stage on a weekend, but we have people with that spiritual gift on our leadership teams, on our planning teams. They are helping us think about how can we extend this movement out into the world, start new campuses, plant new churches, try new things that haven't been tried, and, and see what God will do with them. That's an exciting part of the church. And if you have that gift, we need you to be a part of what we're do- doing at Hope. excuse me. Prophets, another one, a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. We, we tend to think in, in terms of, of, of hyper-spiritual definitions or f- are they fortune tellers? Do they tell the future? What is that about? Again, when you look at scripture and what prophets actually did, sometimes they would talk about what's coming. More often though, they would talk about what already happened that we forgot They would talk about who God is and what he has done in our lives and in our community, but we forgot it. We forgot that God loves people, that God is the creator of the world, that God is all powerful and all know. Who is God really? What does God really care about? Prophets would often say in the Old Testament, people of God, you're over here. God is still where he always was. We need to come back. We need to realign our priorities with God's desires. And at Hope, those people serve on our prayer teams. They're also part of our planning teams because they help us stay aligned with God's vision for the church according to Scripture. You know, and so if that's where you feel you are, you, you love to think about what does God really care about? What's really important to God? And let's pray about where he's sending us. You know, if apostles are coming up with new ideas and new ways of doing ministry, prophets are helping us say, but is that really what's most important to God? Is that what he really cares about? And let's have those conversations. We need those people in our church too. Evangelists, you know, the the bar got set pretty high in the last generation with with evangelists, especially Billy Graham and that association. But even he would say he had all of these gifts with hundreds of people working behind the scenes to make what they were doing possible trying new things, breaking new ground, praying about it, you know, making sure people were rallied together in communities after events and things like that. So it wasn't just one guy talking to millions of people. Evangelism in the Bible more looks like a one-on-one conversation with somebody who you're excited to invite to belong to what's going on in your life. You know, you're an evangelist when you say, I'm a part of this great Christian movement. It's changed my life. I'd like you to come and see what it's all about. Just come and check this out with me. You know, we have people serving in evangelistic gifts here at our church when they greet on the weekend, when they bring people here. The Bible says we're all supposed to do the work of an evangelist. Even if you're not spiritually gifted in it, we're all called to invite people to come along and you can see how if we just, if we ignore these three gifts and all we do is shepherd people and teach people, how does everybody have a place to serve here? You know, so, so again, put very simply, worship is more than music. Worship is about more than just any one idea or style or form of music. It's about using your spiritual gifts. What has God put in you to use for his kingdom, for the growth of the church, and to shape your life and change your life? You know, not only does the church miss out when we don't utilize all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we individually don't get really excited about what God's doing here. You know, if all we do is come to worship on the weekend and we do it to watch, to watch other people using their gifts, how boring is that? You know, you might even think, man, I don't sing and I don't really teach and I really don't like shaking people's hands a lot on Sunday morning. Is there anything I can do with the church? Yeah. We, we're not, a church isn't a spectator sport. That, that's dull. Why would you want to do that? The, the, the activity of the church is for everybody. We need all of the gifts active and present for us truly to be what God wants us to be. And it takes time to figure that out. It might not be today that you just sign up. Take your time. Figure things out. Make mistakes. Try new things. It's okay. There's a, there's a lot of stuff here at the church to do. But, but it will be incredibly frustrating and disappointing never to find out how God has gifted you to, to contribute to the life of faith. One of Mr. Holland's students in the movie we watched uh, felt that about being a part of his, his band, his class. You know, she was trying to play a musical instrument. She was going through all the motions. She was doing everything technically correct as she could. She was showing up on time and putting in all the work. She came, but it wasn't in her heart. She wasn't feeling deep down why it was important or why it mattered. It wasn't exciting to her. It wasn't invigorating. And so she's just thinking about giving it up until they finally have a heart-to-heart conversation about the true depth and meaning of what it means to offer your gift in a more broad, meaningful way. Let's take a look.
0: Well, I'm giving up the clarinet. I'm just, I'm just goofing everybody else up anyway. So um, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for trying.
2: Is it any fun...
0: I wanted it to be. You
2: know what we've been doing wrong, Miss Lang? We've been playing the notes on the page.
0: Well, what else is there to play?
2: Well, there's a lot more to music than notes on a page. These guys, for example. Now, they can't sing. and and they have absolutely no harmonic sense, and they're they're playing the the same three chords over and over again. And I love it. Do you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, you do.
0: Because it's fun?
2: That's right. Because playing music is supposed to be fun. It's about heart. It's about feelings and uh, moving people and something beautiful and being alive. And it's not about notes on a page. I could teach you notes on a page. I can't teach you that other stuff. Do me a favor. Pick up your clarinet and play with me. Okay. And this time, no music. Oh. what? because you already know it. It's already in your head and your fingers and your heart. You just don't trust yourself to know that. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three, four. Okay, let's do it again. And this time not so much lip on the mouthpiece. Okay.
0: One, two, three, four. Oh.
2: All right, no, 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 don't do that. Let me ask you a question.
0: What?
2: When you look in the mirror, what do you like best about yourself?
0: My hair. Why? My father always says that it reminds him of a sunset. Play the
1: sunset. Close your eyes.
2: One, two, three, four. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop (laughs) playing.
1: (laughs)
3: I think that's an important question to ask about your life, your faith life especially. Do you feel like you're just going through the motions of spirituality, doing the things you ought to do, treating worship like a location, a place to go on the weekends, and then leaving it off every day? That's not what we want for you, because it isn't any fun. It's not exciting to do that. Now, if you're here checking things out for the first time, it's okay. You don't need to plug into a, to a space to serve right away. But if if you're looking to take that next step, to to go further with things, to to really engage with your spirituality, to to feel the Holy Spirit working in and through you to touch other people's lives, that's the way to do it, to, to access your spiritual gifts and to serve from that place, to worship from that place. That's really how I ended up switching from leading worship. I led worship as a worship leader for five years. And it didn't feel right because I was using a skill, I was using an ability that I had, but I wasn't really using my spiritual gifts the way that God was working through my life. And so I changed to what I'm doing now and, and things changed. You know, it's still a pretty rough gig sometimes, but, but it's worth it, it's exciting, it's fun to get to see this church come alive and, and to serve in ways that we've never tried before, to reach new people, to see God grow this kingdom. That's what's exciting about belonging to the Christian movement, to worship God through your gifts. So we talked about worship is more than a location, it's your life, and worship is more than music, it's your spiritual gifts. And finally, really quick, worship is more than you. Worship is more than you, it's it's what we give. We, We think primarily about worship, again, in terms of style, and that means that we think about preferences a lot. You know, we prefer certain music, certain... Songs, certain leaders or musicians, certain—we might prefer a certain speaker over another, uh, and we wish the other guy was up here doing this. When we when we take the broader sense of what worship really is, about using your gifts to impact the world around you, then it's more about what we give away than what we get out of it for ourselves. Again, take a look at Ephesians chapter four. So the so the gifts were given to the church. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Your gifts were given to you not so that you could keep them to yourself, so that you could get something out of it, although I think we do, but it's more to give it away, to see other people's lives changed through what God is doing in our lives. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 71, where it says this, "'My life is an example to many "'because you have been my strength and protection.'" That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long, all day, every day. Whatever you're doing, you are assigning value to God. And when you do that from a place of spiritual gifting, you get a chance to see the lives of others transformed. These are a few pictures from Vacation Bible School here last year. VBS is great at HOPE. You will get to see thousands of people here. And and yeah, the ministry is for children. We're helping raise them up in our faith. But it requires all of the gifts working together at the same time, hundreds of volunteers and people, and you could be a part of that. There is a place for you to use your gift, not just at Vacation Bible School, but especially there where we are seeing tons and tons of work that God is doing through us. And I'd encourage you to be a part of it. Because it's exciting, it's fun to get to see God do things in the lives of other people. And especially if you're in a season where you don't feel like things are going well. Especially in times when you feel discouraged about where you are and your dreams for life haven't come true and you don't maybe know what's coming next. I think one of the ways out of that is to to see how God might use you to serve other people and to see what it's like to let him work through your life to transform others. Let's take a look.
0: My apologies for my tardiness, and, uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. (laughs) Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, And this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life.
3: Psalm 71, a little bit later, says this, Even when I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God, until I declare your power to this new generation and your mighty miracles to all who come after me. No matter your age or stage of life, God has something he wants to do through you. He's given you some spiritual gifts to be able to use, not just for yourself, but to impact the lives of those around you. To achieve a success far beyond whatever you could even dream about or imagine, to touch the lives of others in profound ways that that mean something for well beyond the years of your own life. And there's a place for you to do that here, for us to be the church together. Worship isn't just about what happens on the stage and who's standing up here. Worship isn't just about what we do on the weekends. It's how we use whatever God gave us to serve him when we leave here. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for today. Thank you for a time to, uh, to reset a little bit, to focus on you and what you're doing, God. But I pray also that you would use this as, as, a, as a jumping off point for us to see how we can use our gifts out in the world, God, to, to change the lives of others, to invite them into what you're doing here, to, to try new ways of reaching out in ministry, to, to, to pray harder, God, about what you're doing and, and, and how we can align with your values. Help us, God, to be the church that you envisioned, a church working together for your, for your good and for your glory and help each one of us, God, to discover the ways you're calling us to participate in that with you, with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.